0: Christ is in our midst. In our Oftentimes, when we hear stories from Christ, we identify with somebody in the story. Sometimes we can, even in the course of one day, identify with all the people in the story. This is the universal way that Jesus taught. So, the the first in the story that you might identify with is the person who got waylaid and was on the ground, second, the two priests, and third, the Samaritan. So let's quickly try to unpack each type of that identification, like each person. How am I in this boat, or in this boat, or in this boat, and what should I do about that for my spiritual life? So in the um, classic, you know this uh, classic, the way of a pilgrim? You've read that, you should read that. There's a little section in there, and it's when the pilgrim who's traveling everywhere and meeting all kinds of people, he he does a confession before a spiritual father, and he spills out all of these sins, and the confessor said, you know, too much talk, too much. Just four things. I don't love God, I don't love my neighbor, I have no religious feeling, you know, just the basics, I love myself, So, I want to focus then on this second one. I don't love my neighbor. So that would be the Samaritan. I'm I'm sorry, the the two priests. The two priests who cross by on the other side. Because oftentimes we struggle with this. And who is my neighbor? The same question of the lawyer, right? Here's what um, the author says. I do not love my neighbor. For not only am I unable to make up my mind to lay down my life for his sake, according to the gospel, but I do not even sacrifice my happiness, my well-being, my peace for the good of my neighbor. If I did love him as myself, as the gospel bids, his misfortunes would distress me also. His happiness would bring delight to me too. But on the contrary, I listen to curious, unhappy stories about my neighbor and I am not distressed. I remain quite undisturbed, or what is still worse, I find a sort of pleasure in them. Bad conduct on the part of my brother, I do not cover up with love, but proclaim abroad with censure. His well-being, his honor, his happiness do not delight me as my own. And as if they were something quite alien to me, give me no feeling of gladness. What is more, they subtly arouse in me feelings of envy, or contempt. Unfortunately, I think all of us need to wrestle with our conscience about what it is to love my neighbor, to love my neighbor as myself. And it's interesting that the Lord makes um, these two that pass by priests, <laughs> Old Testament priests. We'll put it in there. <laughs> So um, there's a great elder who lived until about the 60s. He lived in the early part of the 20th century. And they were always asking him why, 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 why he's not thinking about becoming a bishop. Like putting his name forward to become a bishop. A priest asked him this question among a million others. And and he said, Father Joel, his name was Elder Joel Genachopoulos, how is it that you have not yet become a bishop? you who have so many talents as a hierarchy would have many more opportunities for your work as well as you would have many colleagues and so elder joel you know if someone's really a person of prayer and in christ and thinking about the joy of the kingdom listen to the way they answer the people who approach us do so out of either love or need or fear now that i'm not in a position of government No one fears me. No one needs me. (laughs) Those who approach me do so out of love alone. However, if I were a bishop, many would also approach me out of fear or out of need. And the bad thing is that one cannot always discern who is approaching him out of fear or out of need. And who is approaching out of love. So it's better that I am the way that I am and I know who loves me. This Samaritan, so let's let's talk about the Samaritan for a minute. We can go back and talk about the the priests as well. But the Samaritan himself approached the man on the ground, not out of fear, not out of you know, it's a pure, loving relationship. He had nothing to gain from this guy. He had a lot to lose, his time, his energy, his money, obviously, but because of his love, you know, because he cared for him somehow. He spent that time, and the Lord brings that into great relief for us. How much energy and time he spent on this fellow. Not only who he didn't know, but he was a stranger. He was a foreigner. You know, many wars are fought between nations like that. Samaritans and Jews, for instance. Elder Paesius, St. Paisios the Athenite says, Nowadays... There's a greater or less degree of self-love in most people. The spirit of sacrifice does not exist. Another spirit has entered our life. Quote, let nothing bad happen to me. Let nothing harm me. Do you know how much pain I feel when I see how people are, how they really are? Recently, when I was at the hospital, I saw how a bedridden patient was transferred to another room. There was a male nurse, kind of like these two priests in the gospel, who did not assist at all, even though that was his job. He was getting paid for that. I can't do it. My back is hurting me. This is what he said with such an air of indifference. My mind, to see such an inhuman human. That was Elder Paisius. And then, if I may turn the page, now we're going to see a contrast. Now we're going to see a Samaritan approach, or the Good Samaritan's approach, and then to see a female nurse, a mother of two and expecting a third, together with another female nurse, strain herself in order to lift that patient. The poor thing did not think of herself at all. She forgot her condition. She ran to assist the patient. When I see a person engaged in difficulties, who may not have much courage, but who sacrifices himself in order to serve others it gives me great joy it makes my heart leap i feel like i'm related to him because he too is related to god so there just in that scenario we have two that we can identify with and let's face it in our lives sometimes we identify with the one and sometimes with the other our job is to find the consistent good habit of living in the kingdom of heaven, which is always seeking to assist, always seeking to sacrifice myself like our Lord. To continue with uh, Yerenda Paisios, Saint Paisios says, look, let me tell you, each person has hereditary qualities because sometimes we blame our heredity. Well, that's just who I am. I was born this way or this way, both good and evil. One must struggle to be delivered from his weaknesses and cultivate what is good in him in order to become a true grace-filled image or icon of God. The negative inherited traits are not a hindrance to our spiritual progress. You hear that? No matter how you were born, no matter how you were raised, it's not a hindrance to my spiritual progress. For when one is struggling, even slightly, but with great filotimo. I'm going to teach you, maybe you know this word already. Philotimo. Then he's moving in the spiritual realm all the time, in the miraculous. And all the unpleasant traits are dispelled by the grace of God. Now this word, Philotimo, we find this awesome teaching, or word, in the teachings of St. Paisios. Many times he uses the word, Philotimo. Here's the saint's personal explanation, his own definition. Philotimo. The spontaneous, self-sacrificing love shown by humble people, from whom every trace of self has been filtered out, every trace of self, full of gratitude towards God, and full of gratitude towards their fellow man. Philotimo comes from a deep, abiding connection with God, so that one is constantly moved to do and to seek that which is good, right, and honorable. To live a life of Philotimo is to already be living in paradise. To be already dwelling in the kingdom of heaven. And we're given many opportunities to sort of snap to it and say, oh, I get to do practice a little Philotimo. Thank you, God. I get to help this or this or this. And by the way, how can I say this? The most important philot- uh, uh, exercise in Philotimo is not only just helping somebody with food or drink or, you know, a place to live, or medicine like the Samaritan, right? Now, you and I are past the time of Christ when He was delivering parables. Now, we are in the time of Christ when He delivered Himself up to be crucified. So He gives us another teaching, uh, far-reaching teaching. While we are helping other people, the greatest thing you can do to, for them is to introduce them to Jesus Christ and His Holy Church. You don't have to do it like forcefully and, you know, like with aggression. You do it with a lot of philotimo. You give them like so much joy and grace because you have it. So that's the big question. Do I have it, <laughs> first of all? You can acquire it little by little by little if you, if you practice and if you beg the Lord for it. People will want to know who you are. They'll want to know, well, what, what are you about? Who are you? Well, I'm an Orthodox Christian. Come and see. Come and see who I'm about. And bring them here. And give them the greatest gift of all. You know, more than any food or medicine or anything. You give them life. You give them the, the joy of the eternal kingdom. Can you do that? You can do that. You have to, first of all, keep inviting the grace of God. Lord. You know, I'm kind of a miserable human being. I have good moods and bad moods, and I get sick, and my back hurts, and I da 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 Give me this love called philotimo. Give me this self-sacrificing, humble love. Please, if you beg for that grace, I can't imagine anybody would not receive that from the Lord. He's going to bless us with that if we just say, Lord, I just need it on my own. I can't even live with myself. How can other people live with me? Please, a little touch of Philotimo. You know the story of um, Grand Duchess Elizabeth, St. Elizabeth. So I often talk about her like when I, I give talks because she, she had a lot of Philotimo. Maybe not from the beginning, I don't know, her disposition before, you know, she became Orthodox. But you know, in the in the old days, they maybe they still do. In the, um, and the political houses, you know, the nation, the the houses where kings marry queens and princes marry princesses and all of that old world. Well, she married the Grand Duke of, uh, in Russia, she married um, Sergei, Grand Duke Sergei. And he never, and and it was never a prerequisite that you have to convert, you have to become Orthodox, but it, it seems to me that because of his philotimo and her good heart and the people, you know, she loved the people when she moved from Germany to Russia. She loved the people and she loved, the reason she loved the people was because of this holy faith, right? That's why she loved the people. She saw in them some, some great virtues, among them philotimo, among them humility and deep love. So she did, she converted. And it was no picnic. You know, her in-laws didn't like her very much. And so she, but she showed philotimo to them too. And then ultimately when her uh, husband is blown up by a bomb and killed while they're driving in their carriage, destroyed, she showed not only forgiveness, she showed philotimo. She went to the prison and spoke with the assassin and begged, or told him she forgives him, she forgives him. And then she begged the czar, she begged, him. this was her brother-in-law, her cousin-in-law. She begged him, she begged him, but of course, you know, the wheels of justice are ruthless, you know. They, so they did kill him, uh, but not before she gave a great impassioned plea to spare him for the sake of Philotimo, for the sake of the love of Jesus Christ, for the sake of his sacrifice on the cross. This is what a real saint is, right? This is what we are called to become. Person like that. Think of her amazing overcoming of struggles because of her love. She had to change her nation, you know, and change her faith. And then she had to lose her husband, became a widow, and then that wasn't enough. She, to the chagrin of all the family, you know, all the family, she sold everything. It's a nice it's a nice gesture. She sold everything and gave it not only gave it to the poor, she started a, a, like a little monastery, a, a mission or house of mercy, the Martha and Mary House of Mercy. And she lived sort of as a nun all of those remaining years of her life until the communists came, grabbed her, dragged her away. She was in prison for a little while and then they threw her down a mineshaft and threw, beat her up, threw her down a mine shaft, threw hand grenades in and blew her to bits. And there was a peasant there on the scene of her death. I mean, if she hadn't as if she hadn't sacrificed enough, now she has to go through this ordeal. And what did she say at the end? The words of Christ. The peasant heard her as they're beating her up before they threw her in the, the pit. She said, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The same thing he said while they were murdering him on the cross. How can this be possible except For the great gift of Philotimo. And it's not something we can just say, all right, I have it. No. You have to beg for it. You have to acquire it. You have to invite it from Christ. And even this Samaritan in Christ's story had it in abundance. In abundance. Let me close with the final um, image, if you will. Because these sermons are always about the Samaritan or about the priests. But what about the guy on the ground? And a lot of us are there, or have been there. The fellow who had been beaten up by life, or beaten up in his case, really beaten up. An excerpt, again, from a sermon by Elder Joel. He says, It is a consolation for us. Identify with the person lying on the ground. It's a consolation for us to see others suffering more. It's not the greatest, but... A man blind in one eye is consoled when he sees another blind in both eyes. A man who is disabled in one hand or foot is consoled when he sees another missing both. The hungry man is consoled when he sees another hungry and bedridden. But behold, the highest consolation, the highest The crucified Lord the crucified one are you ill but you have your bed whereas he's nailed upright on a piece of wood are you poor but you're free whereas he cannot even move are you slandered and persecuted but not as much as him did your friends abandon you but his disciple betrayed him and led him to a dreadful death are you deprived of everything but at least some rag covers your body, whereas he is hung naked on the cross. No human disaster, no misfortune, no deprivation, no pain is able to exceed the martyrdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, no matter what you suffer, you are a wretched sinner, whereas he is the only innocent one. My dears, it takes us to pass through that no matter what our suffering, what our condition is. It takes us to pass through that if we are ever going to see and experience and embrace Holy Pascha. If you want to live a Paschal life, if you want the joy that we're experiencing even now in all of its fullness, <clears throat> think like this. Acquire the spirit of Philotimo. Ask the Lord Christ to bestow Himself and the Holy Spirit on you all the time. It'll change your life. It'll make us not look so much at ourselves. I heard a great um, definition of the word uh, humility. <clears throat> humility is not thinking little of myself, like, oh, I am I'm, I'm a worm and, you know, it's more thinking, very, thinking of myself very little. Start with thinking about Christ all the time, all the time. And next, you think about those who he's putting in your life. All the time, all the time. And even when you don't, even when you see them coming and you say, oh no, (laughs) you you call on the Lord for a little falotimo and say, touch my heart, wash it in in your blood, wash it in your suffering, and I'll be able to do anything because of you, because of your crucified, resurrected, ascended self. Thank you, Lord, for everything. I want to live like you. Amen. Amen.